0: Hey guys, I want to welcome you to the Mosaic podcast. I'm Pastor Erwin Raphael McManus and just wanted to thank you for listening. In case you didn't know, I just released a new book. It's called The Genius of Jesus, The Man Who Changed Everything. And you can order it today at thegeniusofjesus.com. Well, one of the common catchphrases that you hear in the business environment is never be the smartest person in the room. You ever heard that? And for some of us, it's easier there's never a real problem. There's always someone smarter than us in the room. For others of you, it might be a little more challenging. You have to work on curating the right room. But what about if there isn't a smarter person in the room and you have a serious problem you have to solve? A week ago or so, I was in Florida and I'm with this group of um, entrepreneurs and investors and and there's a guy that I've come to know, his name is Walter O'Brien, and every time I'm with Walter, he reminds me that he has 197 IQ, that he has the highest IQ ever recorded in human history. And, and to have a backdrop, in case I'm not smart enough to understand the implications of that, he'll say, Einstein's IQ is 160, mine is 197. I go, okay, and I'm glad you gave me that comparison so I could understand. And and actually really in, strangely enjoy having conversations with Walter and and every time we speak at the same events he, he'll usually uh, disagree with me publicly and and once again that happened again this time he during one of his lectures got up and said i really disagree with what was said earlier and he didn't say my name but everyone knew it was me and so when it was my turn i got up and said everyone knows Walter was disagreeing with me and so let's just dive right into this and and after his talk he worked his way around the building, grabbed the chair, and sat right next to me. I was sitting in the back. And he sat next to me, and he said, what did you think? Which I thought was an incredible compliment for a guy who just disagreed with me on stage. And as we kept talking, we were talking about the dilemma of finding insight, counsel, wisdom, input from other people. He said, what am I supposed to do? I am the smartest person in the world. Where am I supposed to learn? Who am I supposed to go to? It did occur to me that he was asking me all those questions. (laughs) But I did not point that out at that moment. And it must be a real dilemma to have 197 IQ, and especially when you don't know all the answers, especially when there's still so much uncertainty and mystery and doubt and confusion in life. Who did Einstein have to go... to ask. It's M equals M? See? But something's missing. Or Mozart when he couldn't find that note to finish his composition. Who does the best in the room go to when they don't know the answers that they're desperately searching for? This is the exact scenario in John chapter 3. And as we continue our journey through 33 AD and Look at the origin story of Jesus. This is one of those seminal conversations between a man named Nicodemus and Jesus. In John chapter 1, it gives us a little bit of backdrop to Nicodemus. It says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And so what we know about Nicodemus is that he was an expert on God, an expert on religion, an expert on Judaism. In fact, because he was a Pharisee and a member of the religious council, he would be considered the most knowledgeable person if you have questions about who God is and how do you connect to him. But Nicodemus knew. Even though he was the one who was supposed to know, he knew that nobody knew. He knew that nobody knew because he did not know and he was the one who was supposed to know. He knew as as sacred as The scriptures were to him, the Torah, the law, and the prophets. He knew that somehow something was missing. He knew that every year a high priest would be selected to go into the temple to have an encounter with God. He knew there was nothing happening. He knew there were rituals, but there was no reality. He knew. And he had nowhere to go, no one to ask, because everyone else on the council with him was just like him imagine desperately wanting to connect to god and so you spent your entire life studying this text that you're told if you understand this text you'll connect to the creator of the universe who took on a a lifestyle a pattern of living that would be described as religious but he didn't do it to be religious he did it because he believed it would connect him to the creator and then knowing At the end of your life, after all of these years and decades of being sincere and faithful, he knew that no one knew. And so he risks a conversation with someone who wasn't even in the room. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. That phrase is really significant. Because when you're the expert, when you're the person who knows, when you're the person everyone looks to, you cannot disclose your fear, your doubt, your ignorance in the day. He couldn't afford to go to Jesus in the daytime. He couldn't afford the, the rumors, the conversations, the implications, the indictment. So he comes to Jesus at night and he begins to have a conversation with him. And he says, rabbi, teacher. So Nicodemus, the teacher of teachers, calls Jesus this man with no qualifications, this man with no formal education, this man who is considered an outlier, a heretic. Nicodemus calls him teacher. And so he postures himself in an unexpected humility in front of Jesus, saying, rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs that you're doing if God were not with him. And so Nicodemus comes to some conclusions. He said, well, we, we know that you're from God. We, we know that you're a teacher who comes from God. We can't understand how. We can't make sense of this. We can't connect all the dots. But but somehow, we've come to know this. And when he says we, I think he meant he. He said, because for, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And so Nicodemus is saying, I I can see your actions. I can see the outcome of your presence. And so this leads me to believe you're actually from God. See, Nicodemus didn't have a problem with Jesus' actions. He didn't have a problem with Jesus' person. He had a problem with Jesus' message. It was his teachings that were confusing. It was his teachings that felt a violation to everything they knew. And and, and so the dilemma was, what do you do with a person who lives out truth and has evidence that this truth actually changes reality, but you do not accept or believe in the conclusions of that truth. And so he comes to Jesus with this narrative. And what I think is amazing about Jesus, one of the things I really enjoy about him, is that Jesus just changes the conversation whenever he wants to. (laughs) This is something my wife complains about when I talk with her. I just changed the subject because you weren't even listening. I was listening. I was doing deep listening. (laughs) Because Jesus always did deep listening. He didn't answer the question you asked. He answered the question you had. And Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus didn't ask this. He wasn't in a conversation about the kingdom of God. He was saying, Jesus, we're really confused with the mass of information we have about the reality of who you are. We can't deny that, that the proof that you are from God is undeniable to us. And Jesus says, you're, you're looking at the wrong thing. Jesus says, you, you need to understand something. No one can see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. He's saying to Nicodemus, I need need you to begin to have an entirely different journey with me. Because one of the things a lot of people don't understand about Jesus is one of the things that Jesus creates is a culture where you question everything. If you're a part of any organization or community or religion that doesn't allow you to ask questions, get out. It's not a healthy space to be in. And I think one of the huge challenges is many of you grew up in some kind of religious environment some kind of faith environment. And whenever you ask the question, you are seen as antagonistic. You're seen as rebellious. You're, you're seen as, as as unteachable. And the reality is that most religious organizations don't want you to ask questions. They just want you to accept the answers. But I know I'm not designed that way. I will never be in an environment where I am not allowed to ask questions. And God wants you to have the courage to ask the questions that get you to the right place. And so Nicodemus, if we're going to clap, we're all going to clap, all right? So Nicodemus steps out at night, but he has the courage to ask the questions that would violate all the answers he holds dear. And so when he asks The question, Jesus actually doesn't answer the question. He questions the question. I tell you, Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. What's Jesus saying to him? Nicodemus, I need you to ask a different question. The question isn't trying to figure out how I can do these things. The question is, what is the reality you cannot see that's confusing you because of what is happening? I need you to have a new perception of reality. Nicodemus, I didn't come just to heal the sick or to feed the multitudes. I didn't come simply to give you great words and to speak wisdom and truth. I am here to help you see that there is a kingdom that you need to enter. It's to be fascinating how thousands of of years later, the teachings of Jesus can get slightly adjusted to where they don't communicate what Jesus was saying. I I remember when I was, well, I I can't say I was on a journey of faith because I didn't know I was on a journey of faith. There were a lot of people who had faith that were just journeying in my direction. (laughs) I I still remember one of the first people I met, a total stranger, asked me, Erwin, if you died tonight, do you know you'd be in heaven? I'm like, wow, that's a really intrusive question. That's (laughs) That's a weird question from a stranger to a stranger. And uh, it, and I always found that to be odd. And, and then they go, do you? And I said, well, I, I just never really thought about it because I'm not really thinking about heaven. I'm trying to, I'm thinking about earth and, uh, and, and I'm thinking about paying my bills and figuring out where I'm going in my life and if there's anything worth living for i have very different questions he it seemed like in fact it wasn't just that first person it was like person after person after person they were all trained <laughs> they're trained to talk about heaven and the problem is that it, it's a perceptual problem earth doesn't matter it's only heaven that matters and so then jesus comes into human history god himself takes on flesh and blood dies on the cross It rises from the dead, and the whole purpose is so that when you die, you can go to heaven. But this life, it's just a disaster. And Jesus is actually saying to him, I need you to change your perception, because the reality is what needs to happen here is you need to realize there's a kingdom so close to you that you could almost breathe it in, but you're completely unaware of it. You cannot see it. Your perception is lost, and you need to begin to ask questions about perceptions of reality. In fact, one of the things I love about the advancement in science is I seem less crazy now. Science is catching up to Scripture, and it's a fascinating thing. Because the Scriptures have always told us that there there is this interesting dynamic of almost a multiverse experience. See, what Jesus actually teaches is that even though we may be in the same room in the same moment in history, that we might actually be existing in different dimensions. You may be in a kingdom that you were not designed to be in. And what Jesus came to do is he came to usher us into the kingdom of God. And you may not know which kingdom you're in, but it's kind of easy to tell. See, there is a kingdom where despair rules, there's a kingdom where hate rules, there's a kingdom. Where loneliness and emptiness rules, and that's not the kingdom you were designed for. And there's another kingdom. There's a kingdom that is fueled by love. You inhale in that kingdom, and love is pervasive. There's a kingdom that is filled with hope, a kingdom that is filled with joy, a kingdom that is filled with meaning, and that's called the kingdom of God. I woke up this morning to discover that in Monterey Park, someone else decided... To make the world a more dangerous place in monterey park they killed 10 innocent people and wounded 10 more during the chinese celebration of the chinese new year how many more times do we have to hear that narrative how many more times do we have to live in a world where this happens so much it has become common and then i know what's happening before i even know because we now have a conversation about gun control Because that becomes the fundamental argument for every violent moment we have in our culture. But until we acknowledge the problem is not the weapon, but the human, we will not fix the problem. What we have in human history... What we have in human history is a heart problem. What is it about us humans? Even our laws tell us there's a problem. Do you realize there's not one single law against being kind? Don't be too kind. There are no laws about being too generous. There are no laws about being humble. There are no laws about giving things back. You're not allowed to return things you found that do not belong to you. There's not a single law that stops you from doing good. There's not a single law that stops you from doing good. Every law is to stop you from doing wrong. Why is that? I mean, just, just push aside any belief in God or any belief in a moral universe. Why is it that laws have to stop us from being destructive toward others and destructive toward ourselves? What is it about our condition? It's, it's crazy that we have to have laws that say don't kill people. Who thinks that's a good idea? What happens inside of the human mind that decides I'm just gonna go ahead and kill someone? Why do we have why do we have to have laws that say do not steal things? And yet we do. Even though we have laws. The other day I made a decision to break the law by turning when I shouldn't have turned. (laughs) I'm not gonna be specific. My, I only had one witness in the car. Her name was Kim. She's my wife, so she doesn't have to testify. But in the moment I made that turn, she got so upset with me. You're a lawbreaker. I, I just, you're reckless. I can't drive with you. You need to obey the law. And I looked at her and I said, do you always obey the law? And she said, Yes. I said, so you always, always, always stay within the speed limit. Mm-hmm. That's the last conversation we had before she left for Malawi. And, uh, what is it about us humans? So you need to realize that there's a, a, a kingdom reality and there's something fueling us. And any person, whether they believe in God or not, has to acknowledge there's a human dilemma that we seem to be more inclined to doing things that are destructive than constructive. We don't have to create laws to keep us from doing good. We have to create laws to keep us from doing evil. And Jesus says to him, you will not even see the kingdom, which is a terrifying phrase for me. There's only two ways you couldn't see something. Either it's too far, or you're blind to it. And Jesus, over and over again, begins to say, the kingdom of God is near. In fact, other places, he says the kingdom of God is here. So he wants to eliminate the options. I started thinking about how there's so many things that are making noise that I cannot hear. I'm incapable of hearing them. There are so many things right now that exist in this moment that you cannot see. There's bacteria everywhere. It would just terrify you if you could see it. (laughs) There are so many things all around us that we are, are incapable of perceiving, and Jesus does not want his kingdom to be one of them. Can you see God's kingdom all around you? It's everywhere there's beauty and wonder and love and goodness and hope. The question needs to be, what am I not perceiving? How do I change my perception of reality? No one will see the kingdom. Then he says, unless you're born again, which is that phrase is becoming incredibly popular. By the way, it wasn't really a popular phrase until the 70s, I think right around 1976. I'm older than a lot of you guys, all of you, and so I remember when Jimmy Carter was running for president. That's the first time I ever heard the phrase, born again. I, I'd never seen it, never heard it, didn't know anything about it. And there was, I think, a picture of him, his face smiling. Peanut farmer from Georgia. And I think it was Time Magazine or something, and big statement, born again. And that's the first time we ever heard this phrase. And it's become a really, in many ways, a negative phrase. because it, it, it was introduced into American culture as a political statement. And it has become a political banner ever since. But actually, Jesus is the one who coined it. And when Jesus said it, it had never been heard before. When Jesus said it, it wasn't common to the Jewish culture. When Jesus said it, Nicodemus was really confused. And Jesus said, I tell you, no one will see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Or even the literal translation means to be born from above. And Nicodemus says, how can someone be born when they are old? See, this is the legitimate next question. How can someone be born when they're old? Jesus, give me something I can do, not something I can't do. And then he goes on to say, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. You can tell Nicodemus is very, very linear. Incredibly concrete as a human being. He's saying, Jesus, this is not possible. You're asking, you're telling me that I cannot see the kingdom of God, much less enter the kingdom of God, unless I'm born again, but it's impossible for me to go back into my mother's womb and be born a second time, and I don't think she would cooperate. <laughs> I think this is the reality. Is sometimes we're asking the wrong questions, but we need to question everything. Jesus is saying, you need to question your perception of reality. But then he's saying, you need to question whether you're actually in the right Dimension. Because Jesus goes on. He says, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. See, there's two different kinds of births here. Flash gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. But Nicodemus is surprised and he is confused because everything he understands about reality is what exists in the material world. Even though he's a person who should understand the realm of the spirit. Now, I know it's, it's easier to believe in what we can see and touch and taste and feel, but you are not a physical being with a spiritual experience. You are a spiritual being with a physical experience. I remember years ago, there was a man named Hiro. He was um, Japanese. He was 40 years old. He had come to visit the United States. His family was here at Mosaic, and, and they were telling me, you know, Hiro is so intellectual and, and so learned and thoughtful, and he has just no openness to God, no openness to the Bible, no openness to Jesus, would you talk to him? I don't know why people think I'm, like, a spiritual, like, assassin or sharpshooter or something like that, you know, a hitman. Like, I'm, the, they should have their own series, you know, hitman. Who do you know that's an atheist? And, 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 <laughs> and so we're standing over here at the end of a gathering, and, and I said, Hero, uh, your family tells me you're an atheist, and, and he goes, yes, I am. And, you know, it, it's, I, I just will go ahead and just get to the end game, because he knows what they did. I know what they did. And, and, and I said, they also said, You're, you just, you have no real openness to the possibility of God. He well, you know, I read the entire New Testament this weekend. That, that might be openness. I don't know. I, and uh, I mean, I did not read the entire New Testament this weekend. So maybe he's open and maybe he's more open than me. And and then he said, and if what I read is true, then I've wasted 40 years of my life. And I said, well, hero, if you understand what Jesus said, and you understand that God has revealed himself in Jesus, and he has died for you and rose from the dead, what, what keeps you from trusting him with your life? And I'll never forget his answer. He was very stoic. Then he said, despair. That was unexpected. I thought he would say proof, data, science, despair. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I would love to have what Jesus describes. So I'll have to wait till the next life. Because he believed in reincarnation. And he said, so even if I wanted, I'll have to wait till the next life. I've already wasted this one. And I said, Hero, I want to give you a different perspective on reincarnation. What if you didn't have to wait till you died and come back in the next life and hope you could keep this level of consciousness so that you could be aware in your next life of what you now know in this life because you might lose it in the translation See, see jesus actually gives us a way using his language to be reincarnated in this life right here he says that you must be born again here what if before you died physically you could actually be quote reincarnated and be born again into the person who now is alive so i would do it right away and he did and what is so, to me, fascinating is that most of us spent our entire lives figuring out what we should have done in this life and then looking back with regret, wishing we had another shot. Because this life feels like a trial run, right? We, we, get, we get no practice games. There's no preseason. There's no training before you become a human. This, these are the things you need to know. Right? It, it, it's just one shot, one life with the ignorance of an innocence of childhood, not knowing what to do, how to do it, and then you're born into a violent, unpredictable, chaotic, ruthless, damaging world. And you're supposed to grow up okay. You're supposed to grow up and be your best version of yourself. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could just have a, a restart where you could take everything you've learned in this life, everything you've experienced in this life, everything you now know, wouldn't it be great if you just flip a switch and go, I'm starting over? That's exactly what Jesus is offering. And... Uh, <clears throat> but the shift is that you move into an understanding of a different dimension. The problems that you have, quote, in the flesh, in the material world... Maybe problems that can only be solved in the spiritual reality. See, maybe your your violent temper can't be solved with just you trying to get discipline over your anger. Maybe it's a spirit issue that God can only heal. See, maybe your depression, even though it feels rooted in your physical reality, is actually rooted in a spiritual reality, and it can only be solved by a transformation of your inner world. See, maybe what's really going on inside of you is you've been trying to solve all of these problems in your life because you thought it's all physical, it's all flesh, but Jesus says, but, but there's a, another reality, it's spirit. And, and the same way that flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit, and God wants to awaken something in you that is so powerful and so profound that it goes beyond the material you. And then you get to contain it in that material you but it is a more powerful spiritual you. Jesus goes on in verse 8. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher. And you do not understand these things, Jesus said. What's happening here is Jesus saying, my spirit will go to everyone who's willing. And Nicodemus saying, no, no, you're only supposed to come to us. And Jesus saying, no, the transformation isn't ritual, it's spirit. It isn't religion, it's spirit. It's not all the things you're doing, it's spirit. And Nicodemus saying, how can this be? And Jesus says, you're Israel's teacher, you don't understand? He said, very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Jesus is trying to usher heaven on earth. He's not trying to get us to heaven. He's trying to get heaven to us. No one has ever gone to heaven except the one who came from heaven. This is where Jesus is one-upping us. He goes, I'm the only one that has been down this path. So who are you going to choose to follow? The person who's never been there and knows they're not going, or the person who's been there and wants to take you with him. The Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. This is Jesus pointing to his death. That everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Not eternal life from him, but eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus is having not only to change their perception, and to change their dimension, but he's also having to change their view of God's intention. So let me explain to you who God is. For God so loved the world... Any narrative about God that does not start with God, that loving humanity is a false narrative of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And listen to this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So again, last week when I was at this event with all these entrepreneurs and business leaders they said, "Hey, you have to meet Brad. You know, Brad's super successful, but he's an atheist." I said, "Great, great. we Would love to meet Brad. You know, and uh, and and then poor Brad. They grab Brad and bring him, you know, over. I think the next day, Brad, this is Irwin. And I know they told him, Brad, you're an atheist. You need to meet Irwin. And uh, and and I, th- I feel bad for Brad because Brad seems like a really great guy." really interesting with far more things going on in his life than being an atheist. And no one ever says, Erwin, I want you to meet this guy. He's a huge soccer fan. You know, Erwin, this is an amazing guy. Like, he's just like a strategic genius. Like, it's always, he's an atheist. I, every morning he gets a Post-it, puts it on his forehead, atheist. And that, that's his entire identity in life. But that's, that's what happens sometimes. And so we start talking and he's really thoughtful and, and I liked him a lot. Really enjoyed him. And, and so I said, Brad, if you ever did believe in God, like, what led you to not believe in God? And he just started listening. All the things that happened to him that stopped him from believing in God. I said, That's, that makes sense to me. I said, but Brad, I just want to know. All those things happened to you by people. Like Every one of those, you can identify a person who did that to you. Why did you stop believing in God when people were the ones who hurt you? Why didn't you stop believing in people? I mean, I think that most atheists should be (laughs) a humist. Because every time you listen to an atheist who once believed, they'll tell you everything a human did that caused them to stop believing in God. Well, that that should stop you from believing in humans or humanity. I mean, you should wake up tomorrow going, I don't believe in humans. I'm not one. I'm a giraffe now. (laughs) And... uh, (laughs) Although there are people who do believe they're giraffes, so maybe that's not a good example. But (laughs) But the problem is that every negative thing that happens to us, we end up deflecting that to God. And he just becomes our scapegoat to the real problem, which is us. So every time I hear someone say, I used to believe in God, but everything that happened to them was because a human let them down, because a human hurt them, because a human betrayed them, because a human didn't come through, and then they stopped believing in God. You know why you can't stop believing in humans? Because you are one. So you can't wake up tomorrow and go, I do not believe humans exist. There's way too much proof humans don't exist. It's because we assume God's intention toward us is either indifference or condemnation. And the reality is that Jesus came to make one thing clear, God's intention toward you is love. God did not come to condemn the world. Jesus did not come to condemn the world. The reason churches have been condemning humans for at least 1,500 years is that humans condemn people. It's what we do naturally. But by the way, I've never heard anyone stop believing in God because of what they did wrong. Wouldn't that be like amazing? Why did you stop believing in God? Because I'm such a horrible human being. I just lie to people all the time. I steal things whenever I can. In fact, you don't even know what I would do if I thought I could get away with it. And I go, yeah, I can see why you don't believe in God. No one ever blames themself and says, I'm proof there's no God. We always blame other people their proof there's no god you know the proof in you that there is a god even at your worst you wished you were better even when other people are at their worst you still end up believing in people when you're desperate if you never hear it ever again or anywhere else I want you to know that Jesus wants you to question everything because when it sounds wrong about God, it is probably wrong about God. But God wants to change your perception the way you can see a new reality, a kingdom waiting for you to enter it. God wants to change the dimension in which you're living. He wants you to stop living in this physical world trying to solve every problem. He wants you to be a spiritual being that affects every material thing in your life. And by the way, is there anything less material than love? When people say, I can't believe in anything that isn't material, that isn't physical, that isn't science, that isn't real. Love is so ethereal. Love ruins you. Love makes you mad, makes you crazy. Love makes you make choices you would have never made. Love will cause you to risk your life for their sake. Is that insane? love will alter all your priorities in the entire direction of your life and love is this non-material essence that connects humans together and i am convinced love is the closest shadow to god love is like god's shadow when you experience love god's standing there standing over you waiting for you until you understand God's intention towards you, you will always resist Him. But the moment you understand God's intention for you is good, he intends the best for you, he intends that you live, he intends that you love, he intends that you laugh and dance in the streets and celebrate wonder and beauty because He created you for joy. And when you understand that, that's when you run to him without hesitation. Would you just bow your heads to me just for a moment and close your eyes? Maybe you've been running from God because you didn't know who he was. If you could just see how much he loves you, if you could just feel for one moment God's affection for you, if you could just understand the value he created you with, you would run, run, run to him with open arms, arms held high, pick me up, carry me. Jesus did not come to make your life a little better. He came to transform you, to change you from the inside out. If today you are tired of running or resisting or holding back and you are ready to put your trust in Jesus, to follow him. If you're ready to cross the line of faith, I want you just to pray with me right now this simple prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. Right now, just tell him, Jesus, I give you my life. It's not a ritual. It's not a mantra or an incantation. It's an invitation to Jesus to change your life. It's an invitation for relationship. Jesus, I give you my life right now, just tell him. If you're ready to follow Jesus, this is your moment. All the forgiveness you've ever wanted All the freedom you've ever longed for. The healing that has eluded you. The courage that you need to live. The life that he created you to live. It's all waiting for you in a relationship with Jesus. If right now your prayer is, Jesus, I give you my life. I just want you to hold your hand up high. I want to see you and I want to pray for you. Beautiful. Don't hesitate. Put it up high. Don't be uncertain. Right now, this moment. Beautiful. Beautiful. Father, I thank you for every man and woman who in this moment has opened up their life to you. For every person who's crossed the line of faith and put their trust in you, Jesus. I pray that you would wrap them up in your love and let them know they belong to you. That today is a defining moment. That they move from death to life. They move into your kingdom. Your kingdom of light and love. And I pray, God, that they would know that you will never leave them or abandon them, that you'd fill them with such expectation of their future, that life would be a gift to them. We thank you, Father. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I would just thank God for all those who responded to him right now. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic. Your sacrifice makes this podcast possible and creates life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading this message around the world by going to mosaic.org give You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.